Welcome to the Australian Hiker Podcast, Australia's longest-running hiking podcast, downloaded over half a million times in over 145 countries and providing you with an Australian perspective on all things hiking. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. In today's episode, episode 191, we start the first of our series of podcasts on the Tasmanian Trail. Before we get into today's episode, if you'd like to help support Australian Hiker and this podcast, there are a couple of ways that you can help us out. Firstly, by subscribing on your podcast host of choice, so that each episode is available as soon as it's published, and if you have the opportunity, leave us a five-star review. Another way to support us is go to the Australian Hiker website at www.australianhiker.com.au and click on the supporters page and buy us a coffee. You can do a one-off donation or become a monthly supporter. All donations are greatly appreciated and help us to continue producing this podcast and blog. Now let's get on to today's episode. In February of this year, I decided that my long-distance hike for 2021 was going to be the 1,200-kilometre South Australian Heisen Trail. And part of my decision for bringing this trail forward a year was that I wanted a trail that was based in a single state and unlikely to be impacted by any COVID-related issues. It didn't quite work out that way, and as a result, I had to pivot to another trail, and my choice became the 480-kilometre Tasmanian Trail. In this episode, we discuss the trail itself and my upcoming trip, including my expectations and concerns. Now, just to provide a bit of background to this trail, because this is probably one of the lesser-known long-distance trails in Australia. The Tasmanian Trail is classed as a multi-use trail, uh, and what that means in practicality is that it's designed to cater for walkers, cyclists, and horseback riders. And if you actually look at the logo for this trail, it looks very similar to the Bicentennial National Trail logo. And I think in all honesty, it was actually meant to be an extension. So once you get to Hillsville in Victoria, um, you can sort of get a ferry across to uh, to Tasmania uh, and keep on going down the length of Tasmania just to continue the trip on. One of the comments that I've seen since I've talked to people about doing this track is that, or this trail, is that uh, um, it really isn't a proper hiking trail and and I suppose in all honesty it isn't you know it does skirt the national parks uh, because uh, to allow horses and cyclists through uh, not all parks will allow you to to do national parks will allow you to do that so this trail itself does include uh, state forests state reserves uh, and uh, and it does include a bit of road walking as well uh, but no national parks This trail starts in Devonport in the north, uh, and it's basically where the the Spirit of Tasmania Ferry actually docks. Uh, And in the south, it finishes off in uh, Dover, uh, which is around about 80 kilometres approximately uh, south of Hobart. So essentially, the best way to think about this trail is that it runs through the centre of Tasmania, uh, avoiding the most serious of the mountains and um, and wilderness areas in the west and also the, the, the heavily forested areas uh, over towards the east. As mentioned, this trail is 480 kilometres um, and it carries through a variety of environments from uh, temperate forests uh, to alpine uh, plateaus uh, and anything in between. 
Uh, and it does actually go through uh, quite a few towns. So like the, uh, the Bicentennial Trail is designed to provide benefit to the local towns and communities. Uh, so I think the longest uh, trip between two particular towns is around about 40 kilometres. Um, so there's normally – sometimes the towns are a bit small and not overly uh, large, uh, but it means that you can actually in most cases – uh, drop into a store, uh, drop into some um, accommodation that isn't camping uh, and provide a bit of versatility, um, particularly if you're thinking about, you know, if you've got horses and, uh, uh, and, and you're riding a bike, you may not necessarily want a tent at all the time. So I guess before we get into the trail, I mean, it's been a little bit of a journey to get to this point. Um, so, you know, you're almost ready to head off, uh, but you've been organising a whole range of other things uh, related to the Heysen Trail. Um, how, how are you feeling about the need, the last minute need to have changed? And, and for those who are not aware, we've got lots of state border closures at the moment and uh, very little travel between states. I, I think you originally planned on doing the Heysen Trail because it was end-to-end within one state. Um, the only problem is getting into that state at the moment um, and if you went by road, you'd have to travel through three states. Yeah, and I think that that's the issue with it is I know there are people that I was talking to uh, from the Friends of the Heysen Trail, um, uh, Melanie. Uh, she was kind enough to have a chat to us in preparation for this trip and she was supposed to be starting on the same day that I was. Now, the lockdowns in South Australia finish um, uh, tomorrow. We're recording this on Tuesday night and the lockdowns finish uh, tomorrow, which means Melanie can continue the trip as planned on the dates planned because she lives in South Australia. But being a Canberra resident, we're prohibited from entering South Australia at the moment. And even though I could have potentially given it another week to see what happens, I think the way things are going uh we are unlikely, as from a Canberra perspective, to be able to freely enter uh, South Australia for at least another two, if not three or four weeks. Uh, and my work was just not going to allow me to delay the trip for that sort of length of period. So it was a very sharp turnaround. I probably decided to do the Tasmanian Trail probably around about three weeks ago. Uh, even as South Australia was heading in towards lockdown, I thought, this is not going to happen this year. Uh, the good, the good bonus about that is I've got the planning done for the Heysen Trail. So um, hopefully if I <laughs> It's can, all sitting there waiting yeah, to go. I mean, hopefully if I get a chance, I can do it next year and the planning is pretty much done. So it's not a huge thought process for when I do get back to it. Yeah, and I, I guess that's probably one of the big points that uh, we keep making through this really crazy period is that, um, you know, uh, be prepared to change your plan and, and, you know, come up with plan B and plan C and plan whatever you might need um, just to take advantage of being able to do what you can do when uh, you're able to do it. Now, my reason for looking at the uh, the Tasmanian Trail was, you know, from a Canberra resident's point of view, I wanted something, again, which was single state based uh, that also didn't have major COVID issues uh, and that was willing to accept uh, people from Canberra into into their borders. I think it's just about the only place at the moment. <laughs> well, I think we, but- we, we could have we, – we had the option of Northern Territory or I had, I had the option of Northern Territory, but um, there wasn't a long-distance trail 
of of the distance that I was looking at that was available, um, you know, I would have really been going off track, and that was something that you know would have been a much longer term planning process. Um, I just find the there's an interesting thing about all of this because um, you know Touchwood, we haven't had a COVID case in Canberra for. Um, many, many mon- months. It's, it's been over a year. So, um, yeah, it is interesting that we've been sort of lumped in with everybody else, but I guess that comes from being um, an, an island in the middle of a, a bunch of other states. So, you know, that's just the way it is. Now, the uh, Tasmanian Trail is a very different uh, type of walking that you, you've mentioned, um, and the weather conditions are going to be quite different to what you'd planned for on the Heysen Trail? I must admit, I mean, the Tasmanian Trail was always one of the ones on my list, um, so it wasn't just a, a random thought. Uh, I potentially looked at doing it last year. But this is it's actually quite a funny sort of trail. And, and again, with the social media that I've been posting, advising people with what's going on, Someone was telling me last year they started it and finished it very quickly because they had 42-degree temperatures, uh, which you don't think about in Tasmania. Uh, And and parts of the area are prone to fires. So, you know, it's not the sort of trail that you tend to do in December, January, February sort of period and even mid-November. Having said that, it generally isn't a trail that people think about in wintertime. Uh, And in talking to some local Tasmanian walkers, uh, you know, Tasmania tends to get their snow in August and September, just at the time I'm looking at travelling. Uh, and sure enough, over the last few days, um, I looked at, um, I've been following a number of webcams uh, that are scattered either adjacent to or on the trail itself. And we had, um, I think it was Monday of this week, so yesterday morning, uh, there was a photo of around about 70 centimetres of snow uh, in and next to one of the lakes that the webcam was located at. Um, and thankfully, by the end of the day, a lot of it had been rained away. And this morning when I went online to have a look, you couldn't even tell it had been snowing. Um, but we are crossing an area which is called the Central Plateau. Uh, we'll be getting up to sort of 1,200 metres. And anywhere in Australia, you get 1,200 metres in the southern latitude. Snow is a, is a, a potential issue. Uh, and it is a potential issue on the trail I'll be doing it, uh, particularly in the higher regions. So it's lucky that uh, last year we did a bit of snowshoeing and uh, you, you know how to do that and you'll have a pair of snowshoes attached to your pack, um, not something that you would have needed on the Heysen Trail um, and a bit more, uh, I guess, heavier weather gear, so a ja- Gore-Tex jacket rather than a light rain jacket. Um, and, you know, you had to rethink your footwear too. Yeah, it's – I mean, I'd, I'd planned all my gear. I mean, I, Jill and I regularly release um, uh, annual multi-day or multi-week gear lists, and we'd only just done that about a month or so ago or two months ago, uh, and pretty much that's what I had set up for the Hyson. It would have worked really well for me, um, but given that snow was a potential issue – um, I really had to cater for that. And I'm not just talking about light snow. They, they do actually say that blizzards are possible. Uh, and certainly um, four or five days before this podcast goes to air, um, Tasmanian Parks had actually put in uh, uh, walk, hiking warnings uh, for the Cradle Mountain and Walls of Jerusalem area, which is where the, you know, the better, better known Tasmanian hiking trails are. So what that's meant is it's 
push me into changing a number of my gear choices. Um, instead of having a breathable uh, trail running shoe, which is fine in most conditions, not really the best option for snow. And with someone with size 15 US feet, I really am very limited in the footwear that I can actually choose, uh, particularly on short notice. If I could order it two or three months in advance, I've got a bit more range. Uh, but I've also got a very broad foot. So it's not just the length, it's the, the breadth of the foot that's an issue. Uh, so I really needed to have a waterproof, a snowproof boot uh, that was also a very comfortable option as well. So uh, over the last weekend gone, I ended up uh, doing my research and identifying some options uh, and went and tried some on and selected what for me is a very comfortable sort of boot, but it is a boot. Um, and it's a much heavier, and you know, it's, it's more than twice the weight of my trail runners. Um, and I also bought a pair of snowshoes as well. And again, short notice on this, uh, and trying to find snowshoes for my weight uh, is a, a harder option. It's okay if you're the average hiker, uh, but for someone in my weight size with my pack size, um, uh, yeah, it was a struggle to find a pair of snowshoes that, that I needed. So what's that done to your desire to be a uh super light hiker? <laughs> I think ultralight hiking in relation to wintertime really tends to go out the door. Now, <laughs> I am I am conscious of what I carry and I'm only going to carry things that I need and want. I'm not going to carry a lot of luxury items, but it has pushed me to change a number of gear pieces that I haven't had to do for many years. Typically, I don't tend to be a wintertime snow hiker, Um I mean, it's not that I don't like it, but it's uh, certainly with a lot of the areas through the Australian Alps, um, the trails aren't uh, widely marked enough, whereas the Tasmanian Trail, a lot of the walking is on management road, uh, so I'm not going to have to worry about falling in a creek uh, because I'll be walking on, on, a, on a marked road. But it means that apart from things like boots and snowshoes, one of the recommendations for this trip is a high-vis vest. Uh, and the reason, the, the reason for that is that we go through or I go through one area where there are hunters uh, and you need to stand out and not look like a deer. Um, so that was the reason for the high-vis vest. Now, I won't be bringing a high-vis vest. I will be bringing a bright yellow Gore-Tex jacket, uh, which will keep me warm and protected in wintertime and also fill the requirement to not get shot when I'm walking around the place. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting <laughs> thing to think about, isn't it, and plan for. But yeah, you know, it's it's forced a couple of other issues as well. That you know, with the Hyacinth Trail, I was looking at a minimum temperature probably around about two degrees at worst. Um, here, I'm expecting potentially sub-zero temperatures and snow on occasions. So um, I've my pants have become alpine pants. My socks. I'm wearing the thickest pair of socks that I've worn on a hike in many years. Still not a thick not a thick sock by a lot of people's um, usage, uh, but it's thicker than I'm used to. Um, I'm going for a slightly heavier weight top. Um, I'm carrying a not a heavy weight uh, winter hat, but a heavier weight hat than I normally would do. Uh, and rather than going for a relatively lightweight uh, power bank, uh, I'm going for a power bank that on my typical hikes would last me through for two weeks. Uh, but cold weather tends to impact on battery life. So I'm carrying the bigger battery pack just to cater for that. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see, I guess, when you finally gear up and and uh, post that first um, 
it will be interesting to see when you finally gear up and make that first post how, how heavy your, your kit is um, and, and the difference between what it normally is or what it would have been if you were doing the Hyson. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I am expecting a couple of kilos extra. But having said that, um, particularly when I start this hike, I'm only carrying five days of food and, in fact, day one, um, day one, uh, I'll talk, which I'll talk about in detail at the moment, is very lightweight. It pretty much includes snacks. So food-wise, this is um, I'm probably um, carrying maybe about two and a half kilos less food than I typically would do uh, on a you know when I carry sort of eight days worth of food at a time. Um, I do make up for that. I've got two food drops along the way, and I'll talk about those more in a minute. Um, but uh, I will be carrying less water as well because um, uh, water will be a bit more available from camp to camp. And if it is snowing, uh, I can always go through and boil water and, and, and generate water that way. Well, just on that, I mean, where will you be camping? Campsites tend to vary. Now, because this is a multi-use trail, it has catered quite well for, I won't say glamping, but it's, it's catered for a bit more upmarket. So there are campsites, there are caravan parks, uh, and I have still yet to book uh, my first night on the trail uh, which is actually in Latrobe. So day one on the trail is around about a seven and a half to eight kilometre walk, which is a pretty light uh, walking track. So I'm walking from Devonport to Latrobe. Well, you might be happy about that, given you know the the new gear that you 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 sort of wearing and uh, the new boots that you're wearing in. Yeah, no, I think I will be. I mean, I've been, I have been using the boots, even though it's only, I've only had them for a few days. I've been using them and find them to be extremely comfortable. And that was my reason for picking the particular type of boot that I did. It was very, very comfortable as far as a boot goes. Um, so I, uh, certainly in that first day, again, it'll be um, an easy sort of day. My first real day on trail is day two, where I think I've got a r- roughly 30 to 32 kilometres uh, walk. Um that's not unusual for me. Quite often I tend to plan a shorter day walk than that. But 27, 32 kilometres on, on the first day um, isn't unusual for me. Um, and, I, and I will be carrying more weight than I'm used to, but as I said, not as much. I will still be conscious of the weight, uh, even if I can't get it as light as possible. Yeah, I guess the other thing to think about if you're doing those sorts of days, 32 kilometre days, um, the the daylight hours are a little bit shorter this time of the year as well. How do you think you'll go with that? Well, I think um, I, it's funnily enough with this trail, I mean, you, there's nothing stopping you doing this trail south to north or north to south, but the guidebook put out by the, Tasman, the Tasmanian Trail Association is actually uh, designed to start at the north and walk south. Um, and in all honesty, this is a bit of a weird one for me because um, I typically like to walk home, as I've always quoted in the past, and walking home for me means I'll be flying out of Hobart, which is where the flights go. Um, just while I'm talking about flights, I'll, I'll digress here for a moment. Uh, Canberra has got direct flights from Canberra to Hobart. Um, my other choice was... Um, a 30-hour flight, including an overnight stop in Brisbane uh, via Melbourne, um, <laughs> or a, uh, uh, another flight which, again, included Brisbane, which, are the, which is what the major airlines is doing with these close downs. Um, and I'm thinking, well, I may as well just get a, a direct flight to Hobart and I will be flying back home from Hobart. So I'm sort of walking back to Hobart. Uh, so walking south is a strange thing for me to do in a lot of cases. Yeah. Well, I guess in, in terms of 
um, going straight to Hobart and then coming straight back from Hobart, you're you're risking or limiting the risk of transit in different places, and uh, you know I think that's probably a, um, a, a a bit of an issue. You 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 know those thirty hour flights were the most amazing thing. Um, it, it's obviously a function of uh, people not being able to fly a lot or not a lot of people flying. Um, so the airlines are putting flights on wherever they can. It's just that they're not convenient. <laughs> one, of the, one of the drawbacks is, um, you know, the flights, when you look at the flights as advertised, they're actually quite cheap until you look at the baggage. Um, you know, if I want a really cheap flight, um, I need to be carrying a maximum of around about 17 kilos in baggage. Uh, but in all honesty, by the time I had my pack, my food, uh, my uh, my large carry pack, which my everything goes into, uh, and everything else, I'm over twenty kilos, and that's pushed the the price of the airfare up quite quite significantly. It's doubled it. Uh, it's still a relatively cheap flight, and it is a direct flight, so I'm willing to willing to cope with that. Going back to the accommodation side of things, uh, as I said, you know we've got camping sites. Uh, we've got caravan parks. Uh, there are options because Tasmania does rely quite heavily on tourism. I can stay in four hundred dollar a night um, bed and breakfasts and uh, Airbnbs if I really feel that it, they feel that excited. Uh, but in all honesty, uh, it's going to be a combination of camping where I can, particularly given that I'm I'm going to a climate that's winter based. Um, I'm likely to take advantage of hotels uh, where I can or, or um, even hostels or caravan parks. Out of the 19 nights that I'll be spending on trail, uh, I think uh, there will be probably maybe a third of them will be intense, but where I've got the option, I'll take advantage of uh, a bit of warmth at night time. So this is a bit of a luxury trip for you then, Tim, isn't it? Well, it is and it isn't, uh, and this is where it brings in going back to the issue of snow. Um, I, while I tend to be a purist in some respect, wanting to do this all in a single trip, I am very conscious that uh, I need to pay very close attention to the weather. Uh, there, I've got one area where I do uh, go across the central plateau, which is about 40 kilometres. Now, that's classed as a section. Um, most of the other sections are much shorter in between towns, um, but this one's 40 kilometres. And I've got two choices. If if I'm feeling good and the conditions are really good, I may opt to do 40 kilometres in one day, uh, but I'll see how that goes. Uh, that's around about um, uh, day probably about day seven or eight that I sort of get into that sort of section there. Uh, but I have also planned to do that 40-kilometre section in two uh, components based on where the campsites are. Uh, so from memory, I think it was around about 19-odd uh, kilometres uh, and the the other one was sort of 21 kilometres sort of thing. So um, I can always camp where need be but um, because, you know, this is a mix of um, – uh, private land. It's a mix of state forest. Um, you know, there is, I, you can't camp on private land, so I need to be conscious of that. Uh, but I'll play it by year. Or I do want to move across that central plateau fairly quickly. Um, but I'm not as much of a purist to say if I get to that point where it's time to head up onto the plateau and the snow conditions aren't looking good, I will basically take the road route. Uh, or, or are looking good depending on whether you like snow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Um, you know, you know, if they're forecast, you know, light snow, I don't mind. But if you know, forecasting blizzards, it's a safety issue. And if it means I need to walk the road route, uh, which is actually off trail uh, to get to the next town, that's what I'll end up doing because you know, I'm not going to put myself at risk. Or if I need rescuing, I'm not going to put other people at risk to, to come and pick me up out of the middle of a blizzard. Uh, yeah, and in all honesty, if it's a blizzard, there's a limit to how, how people can actually get to me. So, um, you know, it's not likely that a car is going to be coming out or a helicopter is going to come out. Um, I, you know, I'm really I'm stuck there until the blizzard's over. So I'd, I'd rather avoid that risk altogether. Yeah, and it's an interesting thing after watching the weather over the last uh, week or so. It is highly changeable and, um, you know, I guess that's one of those things that you have to prepare for and you have to be uh, – you know, very reasonable and, and very practical about. I must admit, you know, if I had have done this trip, say, a month ago, snow wouldn't have even been an issue. You know, I've been checking the webcams for the last month or so and, you know, this is really the first time it's become a major issue. But, yeah, you know, that's what it is. Uh, and if it means that I have to skip sections or generate my own route to get around that those high areas, that's what I'll do. Mm-hmm. So how's your, your food? You were going to talk about the food and uh, you're going to carry five days, almost five days uh, in the first uh, so five, carry? So five days in the first carry. And as I said, the, because I'm staying in the, in the accommodation uh, in La Trobe, I'll actually have breakfast in uh, Devonport before I go. Um, I'll buy lunch along the way because really I've only got eight kilometres. So I've got to actually go and buy gas when I get to Devonport and check out, but I expect to be in Latrobe probably just after lunch or around lunchtime quite comfortably, uh, which means that I'll buy lunch there and I'll get dinner at, you know, whether it be McDonald's or one of the many restaurants that are there. Um, so it's really snacks for the first day. Uh, and from there on, I've got pretty much full food for um, not quite four, in fact, it is four days. So I've got enough food to last me through to, arriving at the first town, which is Bracknell, um, and the breakfast the next morning, and then I'll go and pick up my food drop, uh, which I've posted ahead. So I've got uh, two food drops that have gone into boxes that weigh roughly around about six and a half to seven kilos per box, uh, and it's been pleasantly surprising this time. When I did the Bibbleman track in 2018, yes, it was a longer distance to ship the boxes. Uh, it was into more remote areas from a town perspective. And I think the first box that Jill shipped over to me, Express Post, was $150-odd. Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas <laughs> this time the the box is costing me to send Express Post uh, $53, um, and that's Express Post, whereas normal post is around about $30-odd. But Given what's going on with COVID, Australia Post is prioritising Express Post. Uh, the post office will hang on to the boxes for 10 days once they receive it. Um, so even they, it hasn't hit there yet. They've got a uh, on the Australian Post app, it tells me whether it's been delivered or not and it hasn't got there yet. Um, but realistically, as long as I turn up um, somewhere between now and um, uh Friday or Saturday the following week, which I plan to, uh, the box will be there. I'll be able to just turn up to the post office at 9 o'clock in the morning, pick up my box of resupply, um, and that's also my first opportunity to do podcasts. Okay, so podcasts. Um, as I have done another long-distance trip, I will be podcasting as I go. I'm going through enough towns that where there's good enough signal now, excuse my pronunciation, not being a local Tasmanian. Uh, my first podcast I'll be putting together and releasing in Bracknell. 
My second podcast I'll be putting together and releasing in Aus or Us, however the locals pronounce that. Yeah, they'll tell you, I'm sure. They'll tell me. (laughs) And then I'll have one. My third podcast will actually be when I'm in Dover. They will be being released a day late. Typically, I tend to release late Tuesday night for Wednesday morning. The first two podcasts, if all things go to plan, I'll be releasing those sometime during Wednesday. And the last podcast will be released on the Thursday or possibly Friday, uh, depending on how I'm going time-wise. If, you know, if I end up taking a couple of extra days, um, I've got enough uh, resources and enough time to take extra time if I'm not moving as quickly as I thought I would be. Okay, so... As I've done in the past, uh, I do use a Garmin InReach. Uh, That's my emergency beacon. It's also my GPS. uh, And I will be downloading the GPS file from the website either tonight or tomorrow night. But what I will be doing is uh, on the day I start, which is on Friday, I will be uh, posting on the morning just as I start a link that people can access to and see where I am in real time. Now, Typically, in the past, I've always put a delay on there, and there is a delay. It only uploads to the the satellite however I set it, so I'll typically be doing about a 10-minute delay, which means you know, when you see a dot appear, I'm, some, I'm somewhere about 10 minutes ahead of that dot. So I was going to say, if people are in Tasmania and are somewhere where they've got access to the trail, uh, please come through and say hello. I don't know whether I'm likely to see any other walkers on the trail, um, I'm expecting probably not, but who knows? There'll be people walking in, in their local towns, uh, you know, even if it's just over the weekend. So I'm expecting to come across people there. Yeah, and uh, the nice thing about that link is that you know you can zoom in and you can get a feel for the terrain that uh, Tim will be walking through uh, as well. And I find that um, of not, not just interest, but it also helps me appreciate. Uh, what he's experiencing and, you know, when we do get a chance to talk uh, during his solo hikes, it also gives me a a sense of how he's feeling uh, based on the terrain that he's travelling through. Now, the map that they use as the base, it's not a live map. It's the map that's been uh, done in summertime. So uh, it may be snowing, but it won't show up on the map that way. But at least it will show, uh, I think Jill was saying when she did use this on the Bibbleman, she could zoom into around about 10 metres above uh, above ground uh, and get an idea whether it was hilly or bushy or open grassy plain. Yeah, that's right. So it makes a bit of a difference there. Uh, this is going to be a bit of a, a suck it and see trail. As I said, if, if, if from my perspective, it is safety first. And as much as I'm willing to push myself, if it means that I need to choose to walk down a road, there are detours if the rivers are swollen and given the amount of rain that's hitting Tasmania and the east coast of Tasmania, uh, east coast of Australia at the moment, I'd expect that to be the case. So I've by default, I've chosen the detours to get around those river crossings rather than assuming, checking what the conditions are and making that decision. The last thing I really want to be doing is walking across a river that is you know, below knee or above knee level in freezing cold water, uh, potentially when there's snow around. So I'll, I've just opted for those set detours uh, that exist in the guidebook uh, just up front. Yeah, so this is... Uh Probably a classic choose-your-own-adventure. See how you go and and decide whether or not you're going to continue on with the standard trail or select one of the details. 
Now, I am expecting to be able to finish this trail, but as I said, if I don't, because it's unsafe to, I will certainly finish early on this one. So, but it was, uh, it was a choice, and it was really, this is what I'm presented with given the trail I've chosen for this time of the year. So uh, one last kind of area of questioning, Tim. Are, are you excited to be doing this one? Is, is you're looking forward to it? We've talked a lot about the risks and about the issues and about the challenges, but are you looking forward to this one? Yeah, I am actually. It's it's different than what I've done before. I mean, I think, I mean, this is going to sound silly, but I mean, the Heisen was the safe option, if you like. It's, it's a 1,200-kilometre trail, uh, but it's, it's, it's very similar uh, in process that uh, than say the Bibbleman would have been different sort of terrain, but that uh, you know the 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 process or the steps going through a through hike on those two trails is very similar. Whereas this one is very different, very unique. It's it's alpine, it's temperate forests, it's everything and anything, and there's a lot of towns involved for the distance that I'll be actually be covering. But I am looking forward to it, so it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Okay, we'll be looking forward to hearing how you're going. All right, that's all for this week's episode. And then this is, as I said, is the first in a series. Uh, and all things going well, there will be three on-trail podcasts and a final wrap-up podcast at the end of this. So if this is a trail that interests you, and I know I've had a number of contacts where people said this is a trail they're looking at doing, hey, I'm picking probably the hardest time of the year to do it, so uh, anything will be easier after that. Okay, that's all for me. Bye for now. And bye from me.